there too. You're awake. Hey, it's me, Kitty M, the All Geek. Here to take you through the land of Pod. The whole land is a buzz. The Geek Master lives. But that's not all. We'll talk about Black Panther, which is a movie about Wakanda's greatest warrior and the lessons she bestows upon the king, T'Challa. There's also anime news and Batgirl news and Tommy Wiseau has a new film. I'm not sure if that's newsworthy, but we need to keep a tab on him all times, I think. Plus Star Trek Discovery, like what was that all about? Huh? You know, it's it's easier if we just go. Head to the tavern. You ready? Season two. Let's roll. Come in, play it too. Very exciting to be back at the tavern, right? Time has passed. The orc bartender has a beard now. We have a gelfling band. <laughs> but seriously, time is always passing. This is important. The geek master lives. I'm, of course, talking about Kevin Smith, who had a massive heart attack. His words. And he lived. He was all about to go into the light, too. I assume, like in Dogma that time, but I don't think Alan Rickman was there for that. This is big news, though. If you don't know who Kevin Smith is, he's the guy that writes filthy movies about important things. The most important things. Movies like Clerks, Clerks 2, Chasing Amy, Jersey Girl, which is a good film, and Dogma. And while he says he's pretty content with his life, I'm not content with it ending at all. I still have aspirations to meet him and be a complete dweeb who he forgets in 10 seconds. I literally travelled to Red Bank, New Jersey to go to his comic book store to buy a Batman comic because it's Kevin Smith. So he needs to keep living at least until I've met him as a fellow creator and even past that. I'd like him to live forever. The important thing is he's alive right now. In definitely less important news, literally everything else. Tommy Wiseau is in a new film. You know, the guy from The Room, the I did not hit her, I did not, oh hi Mark, that guy. He's got a new film. And the trailer, surprisingly, shows it could be a bittersweet story that centres around themes of friendship, human failings, while also evoking a childlike... <laughs> no, I'm, I'm just kidding, it's weird. I don't know whether it's absurdist or just bad, but there's a new director behind it, not Tommy this time, Justin McGregor. And Greg Sestoro, who was Mark in the room, is the one who wrote it. None of this fills me with confidence that it's going to be really good. But really, when is being a good movie ever equated to being a popular one? I mean, Jersey Girl is a good film. Sorry. It just really is a good film and people undersell it all the time. Speaking of things that are not that terrible, Batgirl is no longer under Joss Whedon's control. So last year we found out that there will be a Batgirl movie being made. Everyone was very excited, but a fair few were less excited because Joss Whedon of Buffy and Firefly fame was going to be heading it up. They were less excited not because Joss Whedon is bad at portraying female characters, because obvs Buffy, but because despite him being all for feminism, his ex-wife declared he was also a womanizer and as such, not really great at keeping that one marriage vow in particular to staying faithful. Not really sure I can get behind that as a reason not to like him or not trust him with stories about women. Does it make him less than a great person? Well, yeah, but Alexander Hamilton cheated on his wife too, and I don't see any love for him leaving us anytime soon. 
people are imperfect. Despite all that, though, Joss Whedon has stepped down from the Batgirl movie, saying he doesn't have a story. He never did. I know people are going to jump on this saying, see, he didn't have a story and got the job. Women have stories and don't get the job. And first I want to say, yes, I agree. But second, I have the feeling it's more than that. Wedden did not do the Justice League movie any favours short of finishing it. He's not incredibly great with comic book movies. And he's better with his own universe. Also, DC are stretching at the moment. They have to find their feet. And they may have realised it's not with him. Or maybe it's just really super easy for guys to get jobs in Hollywood. I can also believe that. Both seem equally as realistic, which is sad. It's not the end of Joss, though. There is going to be a book series based around the verse, which is the world in which Firefly exists. It's going to be focused on Mal and the crew. Quite frankly, I'm here for that kind of escapism as well. It still begs the question, who's going to take over from Wedden? Roxanne Gay, who wrote the highly underrated World of Wakanda comic series for Marvel, put her hand up for it. And why the hell shouldn't she? But if I had to pick, I'd put her and Gail Simone in a room together to come up with something seriously batastic. But there's no word yet on who's taking over. On the opposite side of things that we want but probably won't get are the things that are terrible and we did not ask for but somehow are being given to us anyway. David Benioff and D.B. Weiss, those guys who ruined Game of Thrones, are now going to be allowed near the Star Wars franchise. Because, I mean, they've done so well with stories about people losing their hands and brothers and sisters being in love before now. I can see why you would allow them within throat-punching distance of a franchise that has a long-standing tradition of discussions around ideological differences, capable women, and interesting storylines. And I can see why you would trust that duo who took a pretty great story and turned it into a dumbed-down rapey trash fire and ice. Surprisingly, I am not heartened by this news, player two. You could say, my lack of faith is not so much disturbing, but a quite natural reaction to these guys being allowed near anything. On brighter news, though, Michael B. Jordan is a total weeb. He's also Killmonger in the new Black Panther movie. But mostly, the important thing is that he likes anime. And the internet, of course, has been the internet about this news and challenged how deeply he's into it. Because I think he mentioned One Punch Man and Naruto, which apparently means he can't be that into anime. You know what? Some anime is just really hard to get into. Because there's about a thousand episodes and some people have jobs and need to eat. So don't bring your not-that-much-of-an-anime rubbish to his doorstep. Show some respect. He's Killmonger. Also, how do you judge how deep someone is into anime based on their preferences for watching anime? The answer is badly. That's how you're doing it. If someone's into anime, they're into it. No, it may not be the super obscure anime that's only available off pirating sites, which, by the way, is sucking the life out of the anime and manga industry. It may not be that one that you tell everyone you love as you snort about their adoration for Sailor Moon. But if they're into it, they're into it. Doesn't have to be niche. It just has to be anime. Though, a heads up for anime fans, Aquas have a movie. If you, like me, are still getting over the fact that Muse from Love Live graduated, this news may hold little for you. But if you really enjoy anime that's based around high school girls becoming J-pop idols for various reasons, but in the end it's their friendship that's the greatest motivation of all, plot twist, then this news is news you'll want to hear. Love Live was, well, 
just what I described. The first few series was about a group of girls who created a J-pop group called Muse, not the soap, to boost their school's popularity, meaning more students would enroll in their school and their school wouldn't close down. Love Live Sunshine is the next generation of that and now they have a movie. And this is a light-hearted series that has also a, I assume, fairly lucrative rhythm tapping game that goes along with it. If you like cute things and just want to escape the world for a while, because why not? Have you seen it out there? There are worse things to do than sit down and watch Love Live. If you're more into women wearing armor, then Saint Seiya Sentai Show may be more your speed. Toei Animation have released some key visuals for the series that's meant to air sometime next year. So, you know, we've got a while to wait for that one, is what I'm saying. What we don't have to wait for is for Marvel to do what they always do, which is reboot their universe again. Some would say this makes sense, that the comic book universe of Marvel is being rebooted for the billionth time. I mean, given the departure of Brian Michael Bendis, they do need to go down a new path, do they? They really need to try new things. Seriously? They need to get away from the bad sales created by that, ew, diversity in comics. Some would say that. You know what, we should, uh, we should look into that more deeply, player two. But not here. Not like this. Let's go somewhere with a little more... heat. Look, Player 2, it's the Trash Fire. If this is your first run through Player 2, you may be wondering about the Trash Fire. Well, unleveled one. This is where we go to chuck all the trash. Fire is cleansing. That's a metaphor though, don't actually set things on fire. I shouldn't have to tell you that. But as I'm about to prove, we're in the middle of a stupidity epidemic and I can't be sure that you're inoculated. Usually, the trash fire is a two minute detour in what is a fairly lovely romp through the land of pod. I tell you my theories on geekery and we all round just nerd out for half an hour or so. We get away from the real world. But today has to be different and I fear in the coming weeks and months we will increasingly have to spend a lot of time at this place because unlike a usual virus there is no incubation period. There is no moment of rest. The stupidity bug isn't burning itself out, it's just evolving rapidly, creating a new strain within each host and then pushing its spores out into the atmosphere faster than a zombie virus through a shopping centre. Difference is, this is nowhere near as much fun to watch or be part of. Think of this the trash fire as the quarantine zone. Much as I don't want to give any of this news any of my time, lest the infection spread into the land of pod, it's also important to go right to the source. You don't get rid of bronchitis by pretending you're not coughing. So here we are. And what are we discussing? Well, Comicsgate in particular, and toxic geekery in general. I'm going to start with the most recent of news stories, which was people posting pictures of battered women and saying those women, most of whom were white, were beaten up at Black Panther movie sessions. They weren't. There was also a movement at some point to boycott Black Panther, to stop it doing as well as Justice League, which is not hard because Justice League didn't do very well. Now, some news outlets have classed the people spreading this misinformation and this campaign as trolls or DC fans. They're not. They're not trolls, and I know that for a fact, because I was on the internet when the term troll originated. Troll is not a catch-all term for jerks on the internet. No, what these people are are white supremacists. 
And the same with the DC fans. I am a DC fan. These aren't DC fans. They're white supremacists or just plain racist. And they have no place using geekery to further their goal. Because geekery has never been about that. And comics, which Black Panther originated in, has certainly never been about that. Which brings us to this beautiful segue about what comics are actually about, what comics actually do, and how diversity works in comics. That's right, we're going to have a discussion about Comicsgate. I know! Gamergate got a sequel! How exciting and terrifying for literally everyone who isn't called Chad. That's unfair. I know some nice Chads. Here are their arguments. Comics are being taken over by SJWs. <laughs> do you even comics, bro? I mean, I understand if you're new to comics and have entered with the mistaken assumption that it's all sexy poses of girls and men being very super manly. And I understand if you think that comics have ever been escapism and two-dimensional characters with no underlying social messaging that when it boils down to it is one of inclusion and fighting against systems of oppression. But seriously, are you new to this? Because if so, welcome to a whole new world, my friend, because that is not what comics was ever about. And even if it started as that, it could not have achieved its place as a fixture within our cultural narratives, telling our stories without deep social and political commentary mixed in with all the bam splat pow. Truth is, there is no taken over by SJWs. They've always been there. Superheroes are social justice warriors in the biggest sense. X-Men, the story of humanity's failings when we discover those who are different from us, the way we other them, the way we choose that as a reason to treat them differently and sometimes just terribly. It talks about the lengths we've gone to to hurt others and how we just don't learn that that is the wrong thing to do. Superman, the story of a poor kid from the country who takes on people of privilege, namely a cis white rich dude. And he does it all to make the world a fairer place for everyone, all while being an undocumented immigrant. Who is the woman Superman is most in love with? Lois Lane, one of the most feminist of ladies. A woman who would number amongst those being targeted by those on the Comicsgate and Gamergate side. Batman is a straight white cis rich dude who's using his money and power to make the world right. Yeah, okay, he's not always a great ally, but the next time you accuse someone of white knighting as they stand up for their fellow geek, consider the fact that the Dark Knight would do exactly the same thing, but in a cooler way because he would have a utility belt. Wonder Woman, literally introduced as a character to be a feminist king positive role model for women. I mean, this is your basic comic history, before you even get into the amount of times Jack Kirby, creator of Captain America and Black Panther, talked about how many times he super loved punching Nazis. Another argument is they're pushing these characters and stories onto us. By that, they mean characters like Riri Williams or the new G.I. Joe storyline or Mockingbird, Kim and Kim, Gwenpool. And no, they're not. I don't know which comic book stores you're going into, but I have never been strong-armed into buying a comic book. Geeky customer service leaves a lot to be desired, but unless they're physically shoving these stories into your hands and demanding you buy it on pain of death, then no one is pushing anything onto you. And if they aren't doing that, just don't go back to that store. 
and possibly look into whether that is a comic book store. It doesn't sound like they're approaching you to talk to you about comic books. That may not be a comic book store, is what I'm saying. Because geeky customer service is really that bad sometimes. So you don't have to buy those stories. Example, I've never read Gwenpool. I've heard it's very good, but with all the other comics out there, it just hasn't caught my eye for long enough for me to pick one up. That's not a slight against the creators of Gwenpool. It's just, it's not something I want to read right now. Or maybe ever. Because I think the franchise for Deadpool is overstretched, and that's another story. My point is... I know you're not starving for choice if your go-to character is cis, white, straight, and male. Because that's what my go-to character is. Stop buying into the idea that you're being oppressed because Brian Michael Bendis created a new character who can keep the Iron Man franchise alive and interesting for a new generation. Third argument. The comic industry is dying, and it's all diversity's fault. Now, this is closely followed sometimes by comics suck now because they don't show enough boobs. But not always. Boo-boo, no. I mean, yes, comics have taken a hit in the last few years, but they took a hit across the board. And the business model for comics, especially with the big two, that's DC and Marvel, is not consumer or bricks-and-mortar comic book sales friendly. Here's how it works. Comic book stores have to pre-order a title months in advance with no way of getting rid of excess stock or making back any money on it if it fizzles. Marvel and DC base whether they'll continue a title in part on the pre-order numbers from the comic book stores. This all sounds like business. Stress ulcer-inducing but run-of-the-mill business. But what Marvel and DC also like to do is cannibalise their audience. So yes, everyone will rush out and get the new number one, because it's number one, but by six or seven, less demand out there. Everyone's waiting for the trade. So what do they do next? A new number one, a relaunch, a new character. Everything old is new again. By the way, we've changed the artist, we've changed the writer, everything has changed and everything you've invested in is gone. But try this new thing that looks sort of like the same as the old thing, but it's not. It's basically like if we were all drinking slurm and they created new slurm, and it's the same slurm with different packaging and a variation of super slurm content, but you'll buy it anyway because it's new. And also you really like slurm. The problem is they want you to put in all the emotional labour of loving their investments while they continue to not care about your emotional investment in the labour of their creations. All in a world where none of us are making the kind of money that affords us the time, space, or actual moolah to keep investing in these luxury items like this week after week. If they're just going to change it next year and start the cycle again, what's the point? You combine that with all of the ways to be a geek, all of the demands for our attention, of course sales are going to slump. They Facebook timeline to the comic universe. So let's not pretend that the reason sales aren't working is because Riri Williams showed up. And it's not that comics aren't brilliant right now, they are. The slump has got nothing to do with more diverse comics, it's got nothing to do with the quality of most comics. I'm sure I'll have to come back to this, because it's not over, sadly. But I'll leave you with this one player too. Just in case you're thinking that while they may not be completely right, you may want to play the devil's avocado, because comic skate guys might have a point. And I assure you, they have a point. And it's probably not one you agree with, because I want you to look at who they targeted, who's on the nastiest end of this rubbish. I mean, it would almost be nice if the criticism was across the board, but we know it's not. They even had a list 
of who shouldn't be working in comics, and I'll give you one guess as to the type of person who was not on that list. You see the abuse leveled at some of these creators, particularly the ones who aren't even working on the big two? They're not taking anything away from anyone. What they're doing is taking the advice of people like this when it's said, I want more diversity, I want characters who look like me. The response that comes back is, make it for yourself. Well, that's exactly what these creators have done and are doing, and they're paying for it. And they're also paying for the mistakes of other people too. Because if you want to look at what is hurting comics right now, it's the ones who keep changing your comics to the point of them no longer being viable. They're the neckties up in an office somewhere who restart the universe every few years just to squeeze more money out of the stone. And they're hoping you're going to use all your energy and resources targeting someone else so you don't look up for long enough to realise it isn't rain they're sprinkling on your head. Now come on, player two. Let's get out of here. We're going to Wakanda. Here we are, player two, in Wakanda. I'm just kidding, this this isn't Wakanda. I have no idea how to get there and I'm pretty sure if I did, they would not let me in. But I thought, this place is nice, there's some pretty stars up above, and we can maybe just pretend this is Wakanda for a while. Because if I'm being honest with you, one of the main reasons I went to see the Black Panther film is because of Wakanda. Not entirely because of Black Panther. Who is cool though. Black Panther is a different type of superhero. I've always seen him as more Batman than Superman, despite the superhuman strength. In that, Black Panther has a public persona of doing good in the legal and accepted ways, but then there's that other side of him, where he gets in there in the trenches to right the wrongs. And of course he's very different from Batman in the way his calling is more of a birthright. It's something he's trained for, it's a mantle he's been passed, rather than one he decided to put on. He's not driven by rage or revenge, but by honest duty and care of his people. Also, the emergence of Black Panther means that the Avenger films and all of the Marvel films are going to start going towards that more sci-fi, mystical realm. Which I'm so here for, because I love sci-fi and mysticism. And also, I totally told you that was going to happen, and I love being right. It's my favourite thing. When Black Panther isn't being Black Panther, he's known as T'Challa, a prince, then king, who presides over the country of Wakanda, the most advanced country on Earth. For hundreds of years, Wakanda hides its resources and advancements from the world because people are generally too stupid to be trusted with great power. And to an extent, I don't disagree with the Wakandans at all. I mean, letting people have easier access to vibranium? Easily one of the most powerful and therefore most dangerous substances on Earth. That would be like... That, that'd be like allowing semi-automatic weapons to be bought over the counter like alcohol. But not like alcohol, because in some countries you can't buy alcohol till you're 21. But you can totally buy a gun after you're 18. Which all seems strange and bizarre to me as an Australian. Anyway, Wakanda's a fairly insular country much like that of the Amazons or the Atlanteans in the DC universe, and they don't want much to do with the outside world because the world is a trash fire. The Wakandans sorted their society out, their culture is rich and vibrant, and they don't need anyone messing it up. And I do kind of get that. If you live in a utopia, why would you want to risk that to help people? Animals, I understand, but people? 
People are statistically and historically the worst thing to have happen to the planet, animals and other people. This view is challenged. In fact, I would argue that this is what this movie is about in its broadest sense. The challenging of the assumption that just because something is dangerous and risky to our own comfort, that it is therefore not something we should attempt. There's also some really kick-ass scenes in there and there's a car chase that's very exciting, but I'll get to why I'm not talking to you about that in just a little bit. What I liked about this movie is, while it was made by Americans, it was talking about global issues, and it managed to do something that most movies fail at. This movie managed to not be American-focused. It had elements of America in there, but it was more of a global film, in a way that previous superhero films, particularly the Marvel films, haven't been able to get to. I've talked about it before, what it's like to really only see Americans on the screen, to only see things through the American lens. Even when people are not American in a film, they're by and large the American caricature of that culture. It's not that I don't like American culture, but it's not mine and it's not the only culture out there. So I sometimes feel starved for something else to appear in mainstream entertainment. And Black Panther delivered. Kugler balances it smoothly. But looking back, I wonder how much skill was actually poured into this. How much research, how much straight up work must have been done for this balancing act to appear effortless. I'm in awe. Chadwick Boseman, who plays T'Challa, talks about the film being a discussion between black Americans and Africans. And I could see that. I could hear it, almost. As I keep saying, it's got a global message to all of us who hold positions of power and privilege. And I'm not saying that this movie is going to heal all divides, but it says, I found, what we're all seeming to be waking up to now. And that's that we all need to acknowledge our past really acknowledge it. Take responsibility for fixing things, even if we're not the ones who caused the problem, because unless we do take that responsibility, we're still following the same path of our ancestors. As well-meaning as they might have been, they made some bad mistakes, they made some terrible decisions, and we're responsible for the footsteps we take. You know, I hesitated as to whether I should even talk about that with this film. Whether I should focus maybe more on telling you that the Dora Milaje are the real heroes in this, or whether to point out that T'Challa, a man born knowing he would one day rule the most powerful nation on earth, still respects and cares about the opinions of the women around him. Or whether I should just talk about how beautiful, visually beautiful this movie was. Or the range of female strength that I got to see on the screen that I have not seen that often and the only thing that comes close to it is the Wonder Woman movie. The reason I hesitated to talk about what I have talked about is because I'm white. And yes, sometimes I do get asked, but where are you from? But it was never to the extent of someone who doesn't present as white. I've never had to worry about my skin colour holding me back, so... Black Panther was never going to be the groundbreaking movie for me in terms of representation, or even themes, which I think are probably quite specific to black Americans and their relationship to Africa. But it still spoke to me, and I just wanted to add my voice to the chorus. I don't want to do it to replace someone else's, so I'm going to be adding links to the podcast description so you can read other, much more informed voices about this. 
This is a film you can watch as an action flick with high adrenaline car chases, excellent fight scenes, and you can ignore the politics of it. But I think you're going to be missing out because what this film does is take a superhero action genre film and turn it into a comic book movie. Perhaps the first that Marvel has ever really made in this scope. Because comic books are political. They're a response to discussions and world events that are happening now. They're relevant to us. And Marvel has largely not made those films, X-Men franchise notwithstanding, but let's face it, it's kind of generic in the prejudice is bad kind of way. This time, rather than just make an action superhero film, which is fine, they've delved into humanity's true nature. Which means all the special effects, the fantastic acting, the humour, the heartbreak. It all really stays with you for longer because it all means more. So I think you should go and see it, Player Two. You might like it. You will like it. You'll, you'll definitely like it. Come on, Player Two. Let's stop looking at the stars and get into them. I know what you're thinking. How did I get us aboard Star Trek Discovery? I have connections. Oh, this is definitely a Starfleet vessel. Yeah, it looks a little strange, a bit Klingon-y, but this is definitely... I know my Starfleet vessels, alright? This is... this is a Starfleet vessel. So, don't worry, let's just talk about Star Trek Discovery. I'm sure that's jam on the floor. That's not... it's probably not blood. You're overreacting. Also, we can't stay here too long, because if they find out we're here, I am in big trouble. But let's talk about Star Trek Discovery, because it's finished now, and it's been long enough that I can probably discuss spoilers, but I'm going to start out with a spoiler-free zone. What you probably already know from the headlines is that the Mirror Universe is mentioned, and it's pretty dark. What some people might not have pointed out is that there are massive Warhammer 40k vibes with this Mirror Universe. If you liked the feel of the Mirrorverse, then I definitely recommend having a look at some of the fluff or storylines for Warhammer 40k. It's a tabletop board game with space marines and space elves and all of that stuff. Beardy Hammer, who often visits Land of Pod, has his own website, beardyhammer.com.au. I recommend go and check it out. Uh, there's some really great miniatures that you can see painted up there. And get up to date with that world because it's epic. But back to the alternate universe. There are never good universes. Do you notice that? It's like we're constantly trying to tell ourselves that this isn't the darkest timeline when it's so obvious that ours is the darkest timeline. And don't give me the things could be worse or it's not as bad as Black Mirror. Where do you think they get the ideas for Black Mirror? It's here. That should tell you something about here. What has to simmer before it boils, boo-boo? Just because everything is not on fire doesn't mean it won't be. You know what? Star Trek Discovery is too hard to talk about sans spoilers. Put yourself on red alert. We're going into spoiler territory. First issue, and the most important, other than the mirror verses and oops, Malfoy's dad was incredibly evil this whole time, do we still have to bury the gay characters in space? I mean, it's the future. I thought maybe we could keep the gay characters alive. All two of them. Is that a thing that had to happen? Because I want to believe that these writers, who are very super clever, have a reason that will become apparent at a later star date. I want to believe that they won't just dangle a super cute lovely couple who are interesting and grounding for the series and then cut the cord for plot point reasoning. 
I want to believe there is a greater plan for all of this, but at the same time, this has happened way too many times for me to have faith in writers doing stuff. I want to believe there's a greater plan for all of this, but at the same time, killing the gay characters happens a lot of the time, and it just seems lazy. Hope I'm wrong, because it's obvious these writers can do good work. Because, you know, Lorca. And, whew, Lorca. I know he's a bad guy, like a really, really bad guy, but I found him very attractive. I liked the way he was quite stern and single-minded in his quest for power, but I also feel like I could change him, you know? Like, if we dated, he'd still be ambitious, but in a good way. I have issues. But here's an interesting thing. What happens now to the crew of the Discovery? I always thought it was strange that we didn't see more non-humans on board the Discovery, but figured it's early days, everything's still quite new, whole lot of universe where no one's gone before. But what if it wasn't that? Mirrorverse Lorca is part of a xenophobic regime, so it makes sense that he wouldn't choose a whole heap of non-humans, save for the few he had to, in order to fit with Federation and makes you wonder about his choice of Saru. Does this mean we'll finally see more aboard the Discovery? We'll actually see different cultures? I think so. In the latest episode, we've been set up for the new series to be closer to the old stuff in Star Trek. The comfort that Star Trek has provided. I have to tell you, I was worried that they wouldn't go that way for a while because of the appointment of Giorgio. But Mirrorverse Giorgio. That had me wondering. What if there's a conspiracy within the Starfleet command structure already. How many other Mirror Universe counterparts are there? But also, I don't want many twists like that to come into the show too much. I'm not here for that show. You know the one, where they're all worried everyone's a robot, but it's not like the Cybermen or the Borg. Battlestar Galactica! I don't want it to be like that. Do you know why I didn't watch that show? We didn't get that channel. But also, it looked really, really intense which is nice, but I don't want shows to constantly have me on the edge of my seat. If I want anxiety, I'll just stand on a train full of people who don't know when to be considerate of someone wanting to get off at this stop. I mean, if they're not moving, what if they never move? I cleared my throat twice the other day. They did not move at all. One day, I'm going to be stuck on a train forever. Point being, Star Trek is a comfort for me. Yes, bad things happen and the characters are in danger and can die, but there are things that never change. Like the captain is always a surrogate parent to the crew. Not literally. Well, maybe that will happen this episode. They do travel through space because of mushrooms. I'm pretty sure that blows the possibilities wide open. I mean, more than that. The captains are usually firm, sometimes to a fault, but they care about everyone and strongly believe in what Starfleet is trying to achieve. And we couldn't get that with Mirrorverse Giorgio, which saddens me because we've only had Janeway before her. So I'm glad Giorgio's gone for now, because I don't like the constant trope of wheeling out a woman who's a badass fighter, but also lacking in compassion, because as God forbid you show someone who cares about people, especially female leaders who care about people, no, no, if we're going to highlight strong women, they better not have any of those nice emotions we keep hearing about. It's the next step up from girl movies where the girl skateboards and isn't like other girls and that's why she's different and cool. Really the only reason I gave Star Trek Discovery another chance for that finale though is Burnham. Sonequa Martin-Green is exceptional and her character is the kind of leader I'm looking for. When Tilly told her to go and talk to Ash Tyler who I will never stop remembering now as Clem Fandango, like Michael owed him? 
like it was selfish of her to not take on the burden of helping her abuser find redemption? I was livid. They do this on TV shows all the time. Almost as much as they bury their gay characters, they place the onus of healing the confused attacker on the person they've hurt. Redemption arcs are good, and we should allow redemption in stories. But the burden should not be on Burnham. And then when she gave her response, it was just, I love her. She makes some mistakes, and she's so emotional. But I like how it all comes from a place of compassion. It's all her trying to work out how to get through the world without letting her fear and hatred cloud out that compassion. And I find that to be incredibly strong about her. I think they are setting her up to be a captain in a later Star Trek series. Not now, though. She's not ready right now. But let's talk about that final scene. The music. The reveal. Every time Star Trek Discovery loses me, they find a way before the show's end to tractor beam me back. It is one of the best sci-fi franchises. Just weird that we're going from that to the Cloverfield paradox. That is a weird movie and I don't think I enjoyed it. I mean, I like sci-fi and sci-fi thriller has its own special blend of cool. And there's something terrifying about space, not like the ocean where you can at least pretend if you swim up far enough and fast enough you'll get to a point where you can breathe freely. Or where you're somewhere on Earth and yes, things are trying to kill you, but there's the possibility of sanctuary somewhere. No, space thrillers are basically like, there are no rules. You're surrounded by the absence of life, darkness, and often a type of sentient darkness, whose only real urge is to get rid of you, to crush you. So Cloverfield Paradox should have been a heart-racing, adrenaline-pump-inducing jump scarefest for me. It was not. I got bored with the tense scenes. To the point where I fast-forwarded through some of them, just because I wanted to know how it ended, but like sooner. I didn't care at all for any of the characters, which means I didn't care when any of them died. And while there were some confronting gory scenes, most of them felt tired. In fact, that's the whole movie for me. Just stuff I'd seen before, but it was better when I saw it the first time. Event Horizon is one of the greatest sci-fi thrillers of all time, and after that you've got the Alien franchise and even Life, which was out last year, I think, with Jake Gyllenhaal and Ryan Reynolds. That was a solid, scary film set in space. But Cloverfield Paradox didn't do that for me. I just sat there hoping they'd all be dead soon, because then the end of the movie would happen. I'm not saying don't watch it, but also if you do want to watch something truly terrifying, but also about time, space, and horrifying concepts, then your time would be better spent binging Rick and Morty and discussing the cultural significance and messaging in their adventures. We need to get off this ship. I don't want to worry you, but I may have miscalculated this. You might have been right. This isn't a Starfleet vessel. This is a Klingon vessel. They eat people. We should definitely not be here anymore let's go like right now i just there's one behind you you should run like fast really fast hey player two you made it back don't give me that look. I didn't run off on you in that Klingon ship. I just ran faster than you. 
Okay, really, it's not my fault that you're slower than me and that I accidentally tripped you on purpose. Survival of the fittest, or in my case, survival of the sneakiest. But you're here with most of your limbs. How many limbs do humans have again? It's eight, right? Oh, it's spiders. Sorry, I always get you too confused. Because <laughs> you're both creepy. Sit down. As, as payment, let me tell you what you should be watching once you get back to meat space. First, you need to watch Black Lightning. It's awesome. And there are a lot of urges that I have to compare it to Luke Cage, which I understand. But for me, this is going to sound weird. It actually, rem- it actually reminds me of The Cosby Show. Not that that brings quite as many chuckles anymore. Not that it brings as many chuckles, but hear me out. Growing up, I didn't get to see a lot of TV where we lived because it was the bush, so signals didn't get through. But I did get to see The Cosby Show. In fact, that was pretty much one of the only family sitcoms I remember seeing. And I know all the bad things associated with the name Cosby. But the show, that was something else. The family on The Cosby Show were this amazing, overachieving family. The parents were a doctor and a lawyer. And while they had some conservative leanings, they weren't so bound by the confines of their character to not step outside their own comfort zone for their kids. They raised their kids and supported them as much as they thought was helpful. They were stern because they loved their kids and knew they needed boundaries, but they were also accepting of their kids. You compare that with shows like Modern Family, where the kids are all brats and the parents just shrug and go, Oh well, what can you do? I don't know. Be a parent? My point is, a show like The Cosby Show showed me characters who were parents, but had their own lives, their own goals for their kids, and were just trying to reconcile the fact that they wanted their kids to be mature with the things their kids were doing as they transitioned into adulthood. And I get those same vibes from Black Lightning where family is a big part of what's going on. You don't often get to see family feature in a superhero story, which I think is a pity, but it seems to be a driving force for this character. And that's refreshing and new. And don't get me wrong, there are some kick-ass action scenes in this too, and the song choices? Plus, in the first three minutes of the first episode, there are so many civil rights movement references. It's got everything. Also, there's a thing of coding, not like HTML or Python. Coding is a thing that I think a lot of people do because a lot of people aren't people in positions of privilege. One of the things you do is you change your speech, but it can also be maybe the way you dress, your mannerisms to fit in with the culture around you. Jefferson Pierce is Black Lightning's alter ego. As he's described most eloquently last episode, he's a little bougie, bourgeoisie, middle class. But middle class is rich people to people who are poor. And that's who he is. Well, that's who he is now. He's someone who people would consider articulate. And before I go any further, there's a link in the notes for Jamila Lysakot's Broken English. Or you can just Google it. I can wait. That tells you what articulate is often code for. So you get it now? He speaks a certain way, which is cool. But when he becomes Black Lightning, he changes the way he speaks, which is cool. And I wonder about that as a choice, because it is a choice they must have made when putting together the character. And I'm kind of wondering why. I can probably guess, and I could probably spend a whole series in Land of Pod telling you what I think, but I'm not sure Black Lightning needs commentary from someone like me. 
But I'm telling you about it so you'll go and watch it. Not just because I'm some social justice shadow priest trying to make the world better through exposing more people to stuff that isn't the same old mayonnaise. I mean, imagine if I was. Wouldn't that be a terrible thing? Like the goal to make the world less bad and more interesting. Ugh, terrible. But mainly I'm telling you to do it because it's a great show. And you should watch it. And while you're there, Full Metal Alchemist live action is on Netflix right now. It's pretty good. I like the Full Metal Alchemist anime. It's a decent story, and if you're into horror mixed with fantasy, it's a short time investment to get into the series. But the feels, they will stay with you forever. To put it simply, Full Metal Alchemist is the story of two brothers who have to take on seemingly unstoppable and ancient forces as they grapple with humanity and morals. It also, though, has lighter moments. Like there's a really touching scene where this little girl and her trusty companion animal really bond. Does the live action have everything? No, but the special effects and parts of the story that have been brought into it are very good. I expect the sequel will be the real test of whether they do the story justice, but they've sacrificed those usual scenes that stall movies of this type. You know, the ones where the hero spends his time glaring at the ground and gritting his teeth in a way that must make dentists cringe. They've given those up for more time for the story to just develop. I would, though, recommend watching Full Metal Alchemist, the anime, before going to the live action. And finally, um, A Wrinkle in Time is coming out very soon. Didn't I tell you sci-fi was going to make a comeback? Okay, so A Wrinkle in Time is about a young girl called Meg Murray, her little brother and her friend, traveling through time and space to save her dad. It looks epic. You've probably already seen the visuals for it. But if not, don't worry. It's coming out next month and now you've been told to watch it. So you'll be ready. <sighs> sure, there's so much more I could tell you, player too. I'm so glad you're back, but the portals are weakening, so you should get out of here. Remember, if this was to your liking, rate it highly. But it was also the first one back, so let's hope it's not the best trip through the land of pod we're going to have so far. Until next time, player two.